Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Sponsored by 1010 Podcasts. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. Welcome to episode 32 of the Celtic Exchange. This is Tino and today I'm joined by Parry and James. Competitive football is back at Celtic Park and so are the fans, but our Champions League qualifier with Michelin still hangs in the balance as 10-man Celtic could only manage a 1-1 draw last week, leaving it all to play for in Denmark. This week should also see the long-awaited arrival of both Karl Starfelt and Kyogo Furuhashi, but they'll need to be swiftly followed by a couple of fullbacks and a goalie if Ange is to have a fair crack at any sort of success this season. Paddy, after all the talk, the real stuff's finally here. How are you feeling about everything at the moment? Yeah, um, hello Tino, hello James, hello listeners. So obviously, yeah, I, I think a, a lot of people were, were quite worried after Saturday. I still go back to what I was saying in the previous podcasts. It's pre-season, it's trial and error time for, for the manager just now. He's still trying to find his system. He's trying to in- implement uh, his style on the players. And I think the glimpses we've seen against uh, Michelin last week, uh, for me, there's there's a lot of positives. And I think the positives for me are actually outweighing the negatives. The negatives, we've still got plenty of time to deal with. So, yeah, very optimistic about the season ahead. Plenty of time, but not that much time, but we'll cover that shortly. Uh, James, what about you? We managed to get to both the, the Michelin game on Tuesday and the West Ham game on Saturday. Where are you on things just now? Positivity. You know, the, they are good going forward. They're severely exposed when possession switches. So I think there is time, but I agree with you more than I agree with Paddy. I think it's short time. I think the areas that need uh, strengthened are quite clear you know it's goalie two fullbacks and a striker for me Edward has been turning in these can't be bothered shifts so um, if as the talk goes and uh, Brighton come in with their offer this week we should just take that move on get the striker in who that would be I don't know but it's got to be striker left back right back goalie goalie is my absolute number one yeah, we'll, we'll definitely cover that shortly and the striker situation because obviously we've got a situation at Celtic regarding Lee Griffiths which we'll cover um, Edward is very likely going to move on. In fact, I'd be amazed if he doesn't move on, leaving us with Furuhashi and Ayeti, which isn't a particularly strong strike force. I'd also be disappointed if he doesn't move on now. In terms of Edward? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll cover that in a wee bit, but I think you might well be right. So, uh, as mentioned, Saturday, Celtic 2, West Ham 6. 6, quite, <laughs> quite a lot there. It was a real strange game, James. So, as I mentioned, you and I were at it. Started well, great goal by McGregor, but bit by bit, they then chipped away at our weakened defence, no doubt about it. And... Yeah, just so disappointing to concede so many goals, even though just a friendly. Yeah, been playing two teams across that game. The first fifty-five minutes was our full-strength team, um, and and the last thirty-five was was the reserves. To start with the reserves, no one showed me anything that they deserved to be in the first team, um, and include guys like James Forrest and that. Given maybe a break, he's coming back from injury and layoffs and coronavirus and all that stuff. But no one, you know, put their hand up and said, "Yeah, I, I need to be in front of that guy. You should be picking me." Um, the first 11, it's just as it was on Tuesday night. You know, I think it was the exact same team bar beat on. So it, on Tuesday night, by the end of Tuesday night, we knew the two fullbacks were way below the standard required. We knew the goalie wasn't good enough. And we knew Edward wasn't trying. I didn't learn anything much new on Saturday outside of those four glaring, glaringly obvious deficiencies. I know you're saying there was two teams out there, but they both get pumped. That's the bottom line. 3-1 and 3-1, maybe. I'll need three, to check there. 3-2 three, or 3-0. Three, no. yeah. Maybe wrong. We'll need to work that out. But either way, you know, conceding six goals at Celtic Park for any team isn't good for confidence when you're going into such an important game on Wednesday night. I mean, it was good for me to see Dane Murray starting because I'm pretty sure he'll be starting this week. But he didn't cover cover himself in glory for the first West Ham goal, cheap pass and, and got punished. Now, you can maybe look at that in one or two ways. Yeah, it's a poor mistake. But it's better to make it on Saturday at Celtic Park and learn from it and go into Wednesday night with a wee bit more confidence. As I say, I really like him. I think he's got a lot to offer, but he will need to sharpen up and pretty fast to you know, to make the grade at Celtic. 
just on your other point, James, about the guys that played the second half or most of the second half, I was hoping for a James Forrest or someone to go and take it with the scruff of the neck. Show me. And yeah. it didn't happen. And it was really, really quite weak, I thought, the last half hour or so. Just nothing shown and you were just waiting for the whistle. Yeah, you really were. I mean, I think we missed a goal um, because you were just starting to get disinterested in the game. Um, and my dad turned around and said, is that another one? Mm -hmm. You know, is that kind of stuff? Because the, what they were showing you just wasn't catching your eye. So you'd have switched off. Yeah, just not impressed with this second string. What I would say, and I'll come to you in a wee second, Paddy. There was a couple of positives. Definitely Callum McGregor playing in a more advanced role is something that I'm enjoying seeing again. And Sorrow being the deep sitting midfielder allows for that. Really, really decent finish. Took it, you know, really well. And it's it's more of the Callum McGregor of old, which is great. The other guy who really does continue to impress is Ryan Christie. Now, Paddy, you and I spectacularly <laughs> called that wrong. Well, same we called it wrong. I don't think he's got a future at Celtic. I think he will move on, and that was our point last week. But he has been exceptional, and I, and I truly mean that the last couple of games. I thought he was fantastic on Tuesday night, and he just picked up where he left off on Saturday again. And if he has to move on, then so be it. But let's hope we can get some more performances like that between now and the turn of the year, because it will really help Andrew get off to a good start. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, obviously, we, we, we spoke about Chrissy last week. We spoke about the attitude side of things. It's only... We, like. I've always said in here, we, we don't know what's happening at, at the, on, on at, sorry, at Lennox Town. We're not aware of the attitude shown by certain players. We can only go with the, the body language seen in certain videos, certain um, pictures that are put up, things like that. And that's not an awful lot to go off of. But when you're at a game, you can cer certainly see uh, the body language of certain players. Now, Celtic fans last season looked at Christie and looked at the performances. We all... I think give a lot of the players a bit of the a bit of the benefit of the doubt of last season because I don't think that the levels of coaching were uh, were at where we wanted. That's not to say that the, the players can't try though. Now I think that's a different argument. I think a lot of them down tools last season, and that's possibly just a revolt of what they were they were, they were up against with uh, with the tenure under Lennon. For me to look at Christie, I thought last season his attitude was was uh, of the poorest level. He was shooting on sight at every opportunity. The amount of times he could have slipped players in, in big games as well, and he was taking the, the op opportunity to shoot. But then if someone comes in, massages the ego, calms everything down a bit, says, if you want this move, if you want this move to the mid-table side instead of the relegation battling side, show me. Show me why, because that's the only way you're going to get a move. Teams might know that you can play to a good level, but they want to see that as well. And yeah. they won't sign them if they didn't. And that's really interesting because obviously he's in the shop window just now. Case in point being, he's playing against West Ham, so a, a Premier League side. So maybe a club like that would advise on him. He's also played a Champions League qualifier uh, the other night. And the question would be whether this is Ryan Christie's doing, his sudden turnaround, mm. or Ange's, or a bit of both. Because I think Ange's a sharp operator and you know I'm not, not going to get too excited by saying what a job this man is doing. Like, <laughs> look at the way he's turning Christie around. <laughs> But he's getting a response, and if he knows he's only got him for four, five, six months, but he gets a crack in four, five, six months out, yeah. then that's him doing his job as a gaffer. Yeah, and it could actually solve a, a signing problem for us. So, I, as I've said, it's goalkeeper, two fullbacks, and a striker. Ange might be thinking, if I can get this guy till January, then I'm going to slot Furuhashi in the middle, I'm going to have Christie on the left, and I'm going to have Abada on the right. So then that's a big part of your budget reserved for fixing the defence, which, as we all know, is really needing some work. Yeah. So... It all depends really if Christie is agitating for a move this summer or if he's looking to say, you know, I'll run my contract down, I'll get a cracking deal in terms of wages mm. and by playing the exceptional football that I can play, I go into mid-table EPL instead of bottom or top-end championship, whatever it may be. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out for Ryan Christie, but so far so good in the couple of games that we've seen him this season. Moving forward, I don't think there's any great problems at Celtic and creatively, you can see they've got a bit about them. Avada's come in and, you know, hit the ground running. Obviously, we've mentioned Christie, Furuhashi, you know, we'll talk about him a wee bit later on the show. We're excited to see him. McGregor's looking back, back to his best. Turnbull has been quiet so far, but we know all about him and James Forrest will come back, etc, etc. The big concerns are at the back. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So, reading today, and if anyone didn't realise, Greg Taylor's the most senior campaigner at the moment at 23 years of age. You've got Ralphson at 22, you've got Dane Murray at 19, and I think Welsh is 20, 21, something like that. That's not good at any level of football. And even if you know, you're good enough, you're old enough, I get that. But you need some experience in there, particularly at the back for maybe cool heads when required, aggression when else required. And I just think we're leaving ourselves very, very short. 
Absolutely, I, I agree with you. And it's actually kind of going back to this game on Saturday uh, when it was Murray and Welsh uh, that was your centre-half pairing. I've been quite a critic of Welsh. I've thought that, that there's not really been much shown for me that, that makes me think he's going to make the grade. I have to say his performances so far, um, as, uh, his game last week against Michelin, I thought he was outstanding. I thought he, he took, took it very well. I look at Murray coming in last week as well. A couple of slack passes. A 19-year-old at that level, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think what we've got to remember is these guys aren't used to the intensity. They're not used to the intensity. So they're actually playing a week game at the weekend, a game midweek at the moment. That's going to take a lot. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's the intensity of the level that they're playing at. And I'm given, like we've said about the friendlies, I'm giving them a bit of the benefit of the doubt. I still think that I'm quite comfortable with them going into this game during the week. But what I would say is that the likes of Murray and the likes of Welsh, if there is room for development, they need to be peppered through the team for, for the remainder of the season. And we need to keep things fresh, but we definitely still need to start in centre-halves. But I have to say, I'm impressed with Murray. I think there is a, definitely a player there. Yeah, I'm quite excited by him. And I thought he handled the occasion very, very well on Tuesday, considering that's his first mm. game for the senior team. And I thought he'd done OK on Saturday, Barry's mistake as well. The thing about Welsh is he got absolutely stripped for pace for one of the goals. Really glaringly obvious. And I do like Stephen Welsh, and I thought he had a cracking game on Tuesday, as you mentioned. And he's strong, and he's aggressive, and he seems to have a good attitude. But no matter how you develop and, co and coach him, you won't make him any quicker. Your pace is your pace, and that's it. So if that's something that teams can exploit, they will do so. So maybe he gets away with it if he's in next to a pacey centre-half, but we get absolutely runs by it on Saturday. True, and I can agree with what you're saying, but also you've kind of then got to look at the competition. What what are we playing against? So again, a young player, does the positional side of things come come to him quick? The likes of like Chiellini is a guy that, oh, oh, I'm not saying he's going to be at that level, but... Just grab his jersey. Yeah, grab his jersey, pull him back. No, we look at the levels we're playing against. There are um, a few players in the, the Scottish Premier League uh, Football League that have got a bit of pace it'll be up against, but that takes then someone to make sure that they're going to be the back runner behind them and catch up with these players. And that comes down to game time and just an understanding between you and your, your other centre-half. If he can do the rest, I've always believed that pace in our league, you can get away with not having it. Yeah, and that's a valid point. He's up against Mikel Antonio, amongst others, on mm. Saturday. Very experienced Premier League striker. So it's a big test for him. And listen, if he learns from that, then that's what those games are all about as well. Um, one thing that we can't ignore from Saturday, so as James mentioned, the Celtic effectively changed their whole team. Uh, I think it was around about the 54th minute. 10 outfield players off, 10 on, one of which was Lee Griffiths. Obviously, Lee Griffiths has made the headlines for all the wrong reasons since signing his one-year extension. And there was definitely a... An element of Boone when his name was announced, but more so when he came to take the corners. He took all the corners um, in that second period. I think it was maybe four or five. And it made for particularly uncomfortable viewing. James, what was your take on that? Yeah, he must have been dreading getting corners. Um, you actually saw his face, saw a still of it today. And, you know, he was head down. You know, when he used to be a fan's favourite going over the corners, that was part of it, you know, and getting the buzz off that. I mentioned in the blog last week, he just shouldn't be there. It's when you've got a situation at Celtic that's splitting the fans through no fault of their own, you need to take that out of the manager's hands, or the manager needs to take it out of the fans' hands, rather, sorry, and just remove him from the team. So I believe he hasn't travelled to Denmark for the Wednesday night game, which is only a positive thing for me, and it has to be the start of the process of Lee Griffiths leaving Celtic. It would seem that way because if it were purely a football decision based on the striker berth at the moment, he would have travelled, I think. Paddy, what's your take on the situation? I think for me, you've got to kind of look at how many times is this happening with this guy. Uh, there seems to be an episode with him quite often. Uh, I've said this on this podcast before. He's living on the back of a 40-goal season, uh, which is actually a very underperforming Celtic team that year as well, and a very, very poor standard of league, in my opinion, too. Um, for me, his attitude towards club and the fans has been very poor. Um, he makes no argument to be part of this team at all. Um, I've said it to my friends, I've said it to you guys, he should have been out of the team three years ago. And for me, yeah, uh, there's there's no excuse. Whether anything's been cleared by the police, the motive was still there. There's no excuse for him to be at that football team and it's quite poor that he has. Yeah, I think we debated on a purely footballing sense a number of weeks ago before your new contract. And that's, you know, that's absolutely one thing and people have their opinions on that. This is veering into different territory and ultimately the club need to find a solution and they need to find it now before the, the circus continues. So hopefully that can be the case. To be, to be put in that situation where I'm sitting with Celtic fans around me booing a Celtic player, I can't think of any player that's ever been booed audibly, you know, for you know, nothing he's, he's done in terms of football. 
He's just, just getting booed for being on the ball. And you know what? I wasn't a booer, I wasn't applauding. Uh, you know, I was a silent booer, I suppose, in terms of I disapproved of him being there. But the the, the feeling on Saturday, you know, of, of a Celtic player getting booed, that's just unacceptable that, that situation exists. Yeah, it was just yeah. it's a very, very strange emotion, I have to say. And I think it all, obviously it needs to be dealt with very quickly because this is a big season for us. We can't begin any game. Distraction. Yeah, it's a huge distraction. Huge distraction that we, we don't need. Yeah, and it's the last thing Ange needs because I think Ange is all about unity and in it together and you know all moving in the same direction. And if he's got the vision and the support base before he even gets going, it hampers his work. So I think he'll be looking for a solution as much as anyone. What's he got in the dressing room in terms of a split? Is there anyone saying... I don't want this guy sitting sit beside me in the dressing room. It's very possible. Yeah, we, we probably won't find that out, but there's every chance it'll be causing a bit of division there as well. Yeah, and I think um, his his answers to the question of Lee Griffiths the other day was actually well played by him. Um, he still put him on. He still put him on. Now, he made the reasoning of that he's came and said to me, I'm ready to play, I want to play. I actually kind of go back to what you were saying about coming over for the corners and he must be thinking, I don't want a corner. I actually think he's the type of character that thrives off that. Mm. I think that he's, um, you know, he likes going up against the grain, yeah. and I think that there's there's something about that 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 allows him to possibly feel as if he's the victim in the situation. But for me, we can't have any distractions this season, um, and he has one. I think so. So let's see if Celtic make a call on that in the coming days. So moving on, um, I was going to say another guy who divides the fans, but actually I think he's uniting the fans against <laughs> them. Unfortunately, is Vasilis Barkas. So just for me. Um, more stuff on Saturday, which I'll cover in a second, but he will never be the answer to Celtic's goalkeeping problems. So I actually caught some stats today. In seven years, between 19 and 26 years of age, he actually played 90 times as a goalie. That's pretty terrifying. Goalies, if, if they get the jersey and they're between the sticks, they stay between the sticks. So he's been in and out of teams and then had a couple of years at AEK and, you know, caught caught ours, outside or somebody's dad's eye or whatever it was and managed to get signed for Celtic but I don't know what, the, what basis that was on playing against us probably you know Celtic yeah, style very possibly that lazy scout I, I'm aware of those stats you mentioned I think it's 93 league games um, with further cup games but point taken it's not a lot of football for no. a guy at 26 years of age to play I think a couple of seasons ago 2018-19 season he only played five games and then he became more established and we've saw fit to throw four and a half odd million quid at him last summer and yeah, it's just it's just very puzzling that one. I've I've um, I've given him support as much as I can. Um, actually, from the get go from last season, I thought I'm not too sure about it. But um, a couple of guys in, uh, that I'm uh, in the group a group with that were he's had a hard time of it. He's come over here. He's he's not had the proper pre season. He's not been able to bed into the city, bed into the culture of the the playing squad. I just don't think he's really good. See, see, if you sign, see if you signed a guy like Roy Keane during the pandemic yeah. to settle in and do his job. No, you're absolutely right. But obviously I think given the time it, what it's been just now, I think everyone was, well, not everyone, half were happy to give him a bit of time. See how he got him in this pre-season. But the league's not even started and he's already made these howlers. So yeah, yeah he's got yeah. to go. I think you can give some guys the benefit of the doubt for last year, particularly mm. the foreign guys, whether it be him or Ayeti or whatever, coming to a new culture and culture in a new country. But, I think the goodwill that was extended to him this preseason has dissipated very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, the goal he conceded against Mitchelland was shocking. Just, yeah. there's, there's just no excuse. He just didn't know his area. He just didn't have his angles right. Uh, and then, so the the point on Saturday was there's a, there's a couple. There's a still that you might see. In fact, we'll put it on Twitter for anyone that's not seen it. Where it's when Antonio breaks through. I think it's after he stripped Welsh from pace yeah. that I mentioned. And basically his position is woeful, it's all wrong and he's basically saying, Mikael, just stick it in there because there's a, there's a huge gap at the side of me and it's it's so bad, it's untrue. If a kid done it, you'd be really having strong words with him. There's actually two styles of the same, basically they, they look identical. It's like the, the Spider-Man meme. So he's not, <laughs> what, what are you doing here? Yeah. He's not closing it? No, he's not yeah, closing yeah. his angles down and that's, that's the basics. It's, it's one thing to start off in the wrong place, but yeah. to not start advancing into the right yeah. place. There was also another situation, not long after I think he conceded that goal where he found himself uh, at left back, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> we do need a left back. Did he not say he could play left back? Yeah. <laughs> and he found himself with the ball at feet and rather than going for a simpler pass, he dinked it over the striker oh. to Greg Taylor. He dinked that, it short, a couple of other passes that broke down and I think we either conceded a corner or a throw in deep in our own area. And you're thinking for a guy who's playing so poorly, why would you not just keep it simple for a few games, get your own confidence back? So it's almost like he doesn't really have a confidence issue, he's just got an ability issue. A point I'd like to make, I was speaking to Sinky about the whole goalkeeping thing and, and he made a very valid point that 
Most goalkeepers of note will have at least one strong key attribute, whether that's shot stopping, one-on-ones, coming out for crosses, ball at feet, whatever. Barkas has none, and I'm not being snide about that, but I can't think of one strong element of his game. Can you? Tell by numbers, I've just done the the stats on Barkas, Forster, Bain, Gordon and De Vries, I think it is. I've just caught them at dinner there. I've not had a chance to go over it in detail. And what he is good at is ball at feet and crosses, believe it or not. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> not to doubt, the stats, uh, by numbers. The stats brilliant, don't lie. Yeah, sight. I know. don't know what numbers he's getting that from, but apparently he outstrips all of the other four goalies. So that shows you where stats can lie. I, I believe there's a lot of really good stats and stats sites around there and some analytics and we're quite friendly with a lot of the groups on, on Twitter. But sometimes you just, you need to use your own eyes and say, this guy hasn't got it. And I think that is the case with Barkas. And I really think that... I was not defending him. I want to make that very, very clear. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that guy James? On the you know, James? Martin Barkas. Um, but I do think genuinely that if Angie's to be successful, we absolutely 100% need a new goalie. Otherwise, the whole lot is futile for me. A couple of names we mentioned lately, actually. And it's just, you know, again, you look at the importance of the season. Uh, what's up for grabs? Your man, Maravchik, on Twitter, uh, that, that basically looks at um, European side of things, actually made it very clear. It's uh, dependent on whether or not the winner qualifies via the league for us to definitely get full qualification next season. Well, that was uh, so it's not it's not a guaranteed place, but it's I mean it's very likely. One of the things I was looking at, so there's two or three goalkeepers that are, are sitting on a free just now. We've spoke about you know what a pivotal season it could be, the money we could possibly make from getting into the group stage automatically. It's going to be a lot easier to attempt to get in there. Um, Sirigu. So tell me about him. I don't know. The Italian goalkeeper. He's, he's, he was a sub goalkeeper for them in the Euros. I think he was was he with PSG last season? He was been. PSG possibly, um, he's moved on. I'm, I'm trying to remember who he's just left there. Uh, and Ser- Sergio Romero uh, from Manchester United, who's uh, another very well-proven goalkeeper, but was down the pecking order due, due to his age. But he could definitely come and do a job at a team like ourselves, I think. I actually think even when we're in this time of transition, now I put something out on Twitter earlier today about the fact that if it came to it and if we had to, I'd be happy enough to take some loan signings as a sticking plaster for these emergency positions. And by that, I mean emergency goalie right back and probably left back. I'd far rather there were permanent signings because we've seen some of the damage of loan signings. But if it's a better alternative to what we've got just now, then I can make my peace with it. I wouldn't really like a young goalkeeper for this season, though, uh, on a loan basis, if it's going to be that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need someone with a bit of confidence that can come in and slot in straight away. Yeah. Or we could just put a scarecrow in goals and maybe get a bit more out of them. Do you know what? I'd take Boric back at this rate, honestly. Nah, <laughs> Boric should come back, no bother. So we'll need to see. So yeah, obviously, signing talks are top of the shop just now for Celtic. Just to kind of round that off then, so who are you putting goals on Wednesday night? As a question, James, so I've not got to it yet. Obviously, you're uh, well ahead of me in the schedule. But basically, yeah, the question is, should Bain get the nod for Wednesday? See, just before we go on, Sirigu was with PSG four years ago. Uh, it was Torino. He was last at him. He's now left them. Don't doubt yourself, Paddy. You've got this. Um, yeah, so does Scott Bain start? Would you start him? Yeah, I, I just don't think you can play Barkas in any team now. I think it's gone. Paddy? Um, no, because Bain also cost us a Champions League spot against Cluj a couple of seasons ago, in my opinion. As well as a left-back, uh, Callum McGregor, but that's another story. Yeah, it's just it's lesser of two evils when it comes to our goalie situation just now, so there's no good options. Yep, so moving on from that, in terms of signings that Celtic get right and Celtic get wrong, one that we definitely got wrong was Marion Schwed. So he's permanently signed for KV Mechelen, I think it is, in Belgium after a loan spell there. It's just another puzzling one. So he signed uh, in that window, quite famously actually, in January 2019. Brendan Rodgers was asked about it, didn't have any clues about it. That should have been a red flag for a lot of folk. Um, And he barely kicked a ball in the, whatever it was, two and a half years or so since then. So just a complete mystery. It might come down to attitude and there's definitely been some questions of his attitude from the the Mechelen boss, called him out at the start of his loan period and different things, but... What's the point in guys like Sved? Who gets that so wrong? What's the point is, is the very phrase. Why are we signing these guys, particularly with that type of structure where they're forcing players on the manager? It wasn't like we were screaming for a winger, you know, and it actually precipitated Rogers' departure one month later. So it might have been the straw that broke the camel's back for him. Possibly. But what is what is the point in signing guys? See see if they're, you know, a badder style, where bad is actually first straight into the first team. He's, he's someone you might have thought, mm, development, you know, he's going to come through. See if they're signing on them like that and bringing them through the, the structure, maybe fine. But he was signed with no plan. Mm-hmm. So, Jimmy, I mean, they just showed the lack of cohesion at Celtic for me. The first thing we've done was sent him back on loan immediately. Yeah. And that's always a, a concern as well. If you're paying and you value this guy, get him into your club. 
And it wasn't like he was, you know, the hottest property in Europe, you know. They, they, they take the gamble though, don't they? So you look at some of the signings over the years, the Schweds, the Bios, um, I even go back to the likes of even the Bangura players like that coming in. They, they, they're quite happy to take this risk. So whether it be an outlay of £500,000 or whether it be £2.5 that's for some of the players that we have signed, the success rate for them in a profit uh, sense has worked. It's worked. When you look at some of the players they've brought in and the money made off all of these you know, these guys, your Dembele's, uh, Van Dyke, Wanyama. Um, What's your hit rate? Like one in 15? But it's probably still outweighing. It's probably still the... the I it, think the profit's probably still out, outweighing what they've, they've outlaid on those players. Probably, but it's the most disjointed Moneyball approach I've seen. Because Absolutely. I, I believe in the Moneyball system. I think there's a lot of value in it. And I think Brentford, who have obviously picked up higher now, I think they follow it and they follow it in the correct way. I think teams like Porto also do it. And the, the returns they get whilst remaining successful are huge. But Paddy, you've named a couple of names there and, and I put them in the, the what the Could. signing kind of bracket because you've got Bios in that gang Clamala's kind of ended up in that gang although you've managed to somehow recoup your cash for him Amazing Kouassi who also got sent off at the Olympics this week which is <laughs> fun in games Jack Henry Marvin Comper Nadir Chiefji Scott Allen and there's loads more Yeah and I wonder I'm not calling for somebody's head here but I wonder who at Celtic Park made those recommendations made those calls which have absolutely wasted millions and millions and millions of pounds. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to take Moneyball as a data-driven model, then we have to have a target of one in whatever is successful. And it, it, I'm saying one in 15, I might be being quite generous mm -hmm, with that. Mm -hmm. But say it's something like one in seven. You know, these guys, Brentford will know the answer to that question. It's, yeah. got, it's got to be one in X. And it, I think Celtic have seen Moneyball the film and went, that sounds cool, let's do that. I, and that's the extent yeah. of their research. You're spot, good film. you're spot on, by the way. Look, I, I generally think, like, I'm, I'm not in any way here sticking up for what they've done. I, I de generally believe that it's just a, we'll try this. We'll see if this works. Yeah. There's no it thought behind work. it. There's it no work. You need to do it right. Yeah, and and going back to what you were kind of saying about like, the likes of Porto, Benfica are very good at it as well. The issue we have for that, do, are we going to attract young players from South America coming over of course I highly, I highly doubt it yeah. um, no, you might get Scandies you might get yeah East true, Europe, true. You know? I wonder we just maybe we keep shopping in the same market as well and should we explore other territories which could be very beneficial for us maybe maybe the Japanese market opens up now or the Australian market because of the connections with Ange but mm. whatever we've been doing so far hasn't been working and I would say a huge part of that has been a, a Peter Lowell driven decision maybe that changes now with Don McKay and maybe he looks at different areas but a lot of these guys as well, the, the biggest frustration is you you never get a chance to judge if they would have been a player or not because they simply never get the time. Yeah. So Shved barely kicked a ball, scored one decent goal in a qualifier. But Bayo came in, messed about a bit. Klamala got a bit of game time. I think it was right to move him on, by the mm -hmm. way. But mm -hmm. Kouassi we barely seen. Jack Henry didn't feature much after his early mistakes. Comper, less said the better. Chief Che, Scott Allen. These guys, between them, collectively, have finally got a season's worth of games. In fact, far less so. So why sign them and then not even give them a chance? Because training's training, but guys can only ever really prove themselves in games. And sometimes you hear the old saying about some guys are training players and some guys are the real deal. And I guess we'll never know. But at the same time, we're losing two and three million per signing. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a bold strategy that they've kind of set up over the last well under Law's tenor. You're right. It's um, I, I also think that the drive seemed to kind of just slow down in the last three or four years from trying to kind of continue that and unearth the odd wee gem here and there. I think we failed at it miserably. And it's obviously, it's attractive when you see the the money you get for the Wanyamas and the Dembele's and the Van Dykes. So you go, that's big bucks. This is a, we're onto something here. Yeah. But you're only onto something if you do it right. And as, as James says, data driven, do it in the correct ways. Don't half arse it because yeah. we'll get what we got. So And, and that's why it stopped because Lowell's seen money going out and money not coming in. He's went, I would try that and it didn't work. Yeah, the Iron is absolute copybook for how it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just onto that. So yeah, a very notable departure. So moving on from Schwed, Chris Iyer uh, got to Brentford for something in the region of 13 and a half million plus add ons. We had a discussion maybe one or two weeks ago and Miff was saying, why are we messing about? Let's get it done. Let's take 12. I get his point because taking the 12 then allows you to go and get Carl Starfelt or somebody in early. But I think Celtic were right to dig their heels in here, particularly given that it's a Premier League club who have got you know, the big budgets to, to play with. Why should we roll over and have our bellies tickled when you can say, do you know what, you're not getting them for 12. It'll cost you 13 and a half, maybe up to 15 or 16, given the, the add-ons. And I think they played that one correctly. Yeah, the, the first offer was eight from Newcastle, by the way. What a difference that I mean it could be I think 18 hours with, with add-ons so 
So we, we wonder, again, we're always in a good position to try and put on a few add-ons as well. I wouldn't be surprised if there's more on that 13 and a half mm-hmm. with, with Brentford. One of the things for me on that is that you're absolutely spot on. Digby Hill's in there because, albeit he seemed to be a bit mature for his age when we signed him at 17, I think that um, his development came here. His development happened at, in Scotland with Kilmarnock unknown and then his, his uh, trophy-leading career here. Um, and for him to go for that amount of money at the end of it all and his final year of contract, yeah, very, very good business and I'm happy to see that. Yeah, I think it's brilliant business. So just, you mentioned trophy-laden career and you're absolutely right, Paddy. So how will or how should his time be remembered? And I'm asking that question because some people see fit to just slate guys the moment they leave Celtic and I think it's pretty poor. He's been a really good servant. He's been here for five years. He's done nothing but win, apart from last year. Mm. He's been a really good servant. He has developed. He's made the club a lot of money. Why should he go with any sort of grief? Provide Christopher Ayer a centre-half that's as good as him um, alongside them and... He goes with everyone's well wishes. He tried to carry a lot. That mm. was that was his big problem, I think. He tried to take a uh, take a lot on. And I generally think it was out of born out of sheer frustration. You could actually see points last season. He was bringing the ball out from the back line and looking up. And his next option for a pass was Greg Taylor. And he would continue to run. That's yeah. that's where the mistakes happen. That's where things happen. The head's down. Doesn't trust anyone around him. And that's why people got on to him. I think if I've seen Greg Adder continue running as well, yeah. to be fair. I think he's done the right thing. <laughs> um, just in terms of the titles he's won, so nine uh, trophies in total, three league, three Scottish Cups, three league cups, and of course the winning penalty for the quadruple treble. So it's pretty impressive for such a young guy. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you want, is to someone to come in like that, be successful in the, in the context of Celtic. would like to be more successful in Europe, of course, but you know he's, he's won the trophies that were there to be won. And if fans are getting on his back and giving him a hard time for that, then... Be prepared to do that for most of the guys that play at Celtic in the coming years because this is the model. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, Chris Iyer didn't ever come here and claim to be a Celtic no. fan. He claimed to be a professional footballer. He signed for 500 grand. He's made the club probably the best part of, say, 15 million ballpark figure, potentially more. What else do you want? That, the trophies, the commitment to the club. Yeah, you could argue at times that, you know, he goes to ground too early, he gave away cheap penalties. He's a development player. You know, he's, he's only now 23. 23. 23. So you're allowed to do that, I of course think, you as, as you go. So for me, it goes with everybody's best wishes. You've got to look at Eurogides and as a development player at 21, mm-hmm. starting his development. Yeah. yeah, guys come along at different times, don't they? And I think particularly that pivotal age between probably 17 and 21, some guys are good to go at 17, mm. by the way, mm. and some guys don't really flourish till they're 21, 22, and they've got 50 games under their belt. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. But as I say, best wishes to Chris Iron. I hope it's a good move for him. And I don't believe that's his last move by any stretch. No, I think I he's going to... Brentford, no, it's not. Kick on at a different level. So, good luck to him. So, obviously, the, the big game and the most important game coming up is the Michelin game. We're tied at one each just now. Based on what we witnessed on Tuesday and obviously a bit of what we've seen on Saturday, do you lads think Celtic are going through? Based on the opposition, I think we certainly should go through. There's no reason we shouldn't because they're a better team unless Mitchell was really off their game. You know, bear in mind, they've got a, an attacking player missing, Drager, Drager. Drager, and we've got Beaton missing, which looks to be fairly well covered by Murray based on his, his performance on Tuesday last week. So the two teams matched up. We, we should be going through in that game. It's Celtic away in Europe. And just Celtic away in Europe, which brings me to the question actually. So the first half against West Ham on Saturday didn't really see much of the infer- inverted fullback stuff that he's been doing. It was more of a flat back four, which is maybe how he's he's set to line up uh, against Michelin. So that would have meant to be seen um, when they when he changed the team around and Uragidi and different guys come in, they did go inverted. So I wonder if he just wanted to let them keep going with that one, but the actual. The team that started on Saturday is going to be the team that starts on on uh, Wednesday for me, and I just think he might go with a slightly more conservative approach, which worries me, because I think Celtic's approach right now should be all-out attack. Keep That's it, the keep, only way this team keep can Keep it play. out of defence. The, the biggest worry for me is that on, on, on this game, when we were 10 against 11, we actually played very, very well. When it went 10 v 10, they somehow were able to get in between our lines. They, they get in very well in between our, our, our defence and, and our midfield. So that's why I possibly think that the full-backs are maybe going to be a wee bit halted. We're also going to a full stadium on Wednesday. I think it's going to be a, a difficult atmosphere. Do I think we should win? Yeah, absolutely. After last week, I thought there was really, really strong glimpses up until that idiotic moment, which you guys have covered. For me, we, we are a better team than them. Um, but I think that caution, if he's going to line the back four up against that, I think it's quite clever. 
maybe we see how the, the first bit of the game goes and then you know bring bring them up to the, the, the two fullbacks up to the, the halfway line and put a bit more pressure on we'll just need to see how the game goes yeah I mean my big concern would be that if Celtic invite on any sort of pressure we can't handle the pressure yeah. I think if they get in behind our fullback areas which is very doable at this moment in time we could be seriously punished and as I say I would rather take attack as the best form of defence and I think see if you win 5-4 you're good to go away goals out of the system and all that stuff doesn't matter whoever scores the most goals wins the game and I think I'd be any way that gets us through would not for me absolutely and I think obviously I think he's actually been renowned for some games like that in, in his career as well and um, but you're talking about you know being exposed I think if you kind of try and curb that and you keep that back line quite tight and narrow just for the game and you you, you I mean that's when you're going to use your, your wingers so you're going to have a bad on you're going to have possibly see Forrest play a big part in the game whoever pushes out to left possibly even Turnbull something like that just people to run the wing so that the the fullbacks aren't having to be exposed that much because I think the minute that they were were pushing up when we it went ten v ten, the minute they were pushing up, that's when they were really exposing us, and you had the likes of Sorrow and McGregor having to then try and cover two very young centre halves yeah. up on their own. So I can see why he'll do that, but if we take control of the game quickly, then yeah, it gives them room to push up. It gives them room for us to go and try and get one goal and then possibly even get a colour goal, you yeah. know. Yeah, I think the the early phase of the game is really, really important. I don't know if he's trying out teaching the players how to switch formation during the game. So if we start out with what would, would essentially be a 4-5-1, your, your flat back four, you've got your three in the midfield as it isn't j- just now, but with Abada and Christy dropping into the five and Edward up top in his own. So playing with that, getting a feel for the game, and as Paddy's saying, when you start to see opportunities and think, because... Quite early on in the game on Tuesday, we found that they're not coming at us. No. We can get this back line up mm-hmm. and we can get the fullbacks inverted. So it might be just a bit of caution to to see how the game starts to develop and then get right back into the 4-3-3. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there might be a bit of cat and mouse to start with as the teams feel each other out. And Angie's a very experienced coach and he should be capable of switching systems based on what he's seen. Absolutely. So if, you know, if after the opening five, ten minutes, he goes, do you know what? They're sitting in or whatever. As you say, Paddy, very rightfully, that so the the venue for the game is the MCH Arena, full house there. So they'll have the backing of their fans and that could go one or two ways. It could actually almost force them to come out as a team and really go for it. And Celtic certainly have shown they can exploit that. So Christie and Abad in the way they does, they might get a lot of joy out of that. So yeah, it'll be very telling as to what the, the early stages of the match brings. Well, going back to what James was saying there, um, even talking about like um, they weren't really coming at us, you're, you're spot on. But we were still able to get in behind them, uh, down the wings, I thought. Especially down the right. I thought that Abada had the better of uh, their left back. And I think that, you know, that's that's an area, area you focus on from the get-go on Wednesday night. Yeah. We asked a question uh, earlier on there, should Bain start instead of Barkas? And kind of mixed response there. A question I'd like to pose, should James Forrest start at right back instead of Ralston? Or can he? It just depends how we line up. It's just depending on what, what the game plan is going to be. What if we go that 4-3-3 slash 4-5-1 approach that James mentioned and it's just a straight out, James, go in there, you're fit, you're strong, you're able, go and do as a job at right back. Again, for me, I think that you've got to kind of look at the two young centre-halves in that one and I think the protection on the two on that night because it's going to be those two that are starting. That's that's more more crucial, I think. Let them bed in. Let them bed into that atmosphere. It's going to be a big game for them. They should be ready for it, Absolutely. But I think that's too much. Uh, that's come back to Lennon for me. <laughs> Callum McGregor. Left yeah, back. absolutely. Um, I, th- I think it's a good question to pose, and it's it's one for us to to knock about and stuff like that. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> you are welcome. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, it is Lennon square pegs round holes stuff. So Forrest isn't a right back. <laughs> Ralston says he's a right back. But he, he should have positional awareness for that position having played in it his whole career yeah okay so we'll see what the lineup will be it'll be very interesting uh, scoreline predictions lads I'd like to put you on the fence for that you've already said it 5-4 five, 5-4 four. Five, five, four <laughs> hoops uh, I, I think Celtic will win 2-1 I'm going to say 1-0 I think we'll grind the result out clean sheet for the boys yeah Barkey Barkas will be in clean sheet uh, I don't know don't know I, I, I generally don't know who starts we'll end up bringing Hazard in They'll, they'll put us through the ringers as, as, yeah. they, as they want to it'll be 3-2 Celtic interesting but all wins which is good to hear uh, would you fancy a penalty shout just for the buzz so I, I, I dare say then any sort of draw takes your penalties in no yeah, away yeah. goals so not nah, each five each whatever yeah. you're going and extra time in penalties. Time penalties couldn't be doing with that so <laughs> let, let, let's probably deal with <laughs> first, it first real competitive uh, tie of the season and we're in 
nerves shredded. Yeah. The regular 90 will be fine for me. So, um, as we touched upon, there's a couple of new arrivals this week. So, obviously, we signed these guys, you know, in the last week or two, but Carl Starfelt and Kyogo Furuhashi. Um, the suggestion is they'll be here in time to face Hearts if selected. So, I suppose if the first question would be, would you pitch them right into that game? And if so, who for? Yeah, I think I think they should be ready. Um, so for me, I'd say Murray probably makes the makes way for Starfelt. I think Kevin Welsh for me on that. Fair play. No, no, that, that, that's fine. That's fine. And, and I know you're working back to the the West Ham game for Welsh, but I just think just that's a tough place to go to in Saturday night. And I, I just think yeah, it's interesting because Ange doesn't have the. He'll obviously have watched footage and stuff like that, but he's kind of done the blank slate thing, and he might have said, Do "You know what, Murray's impressed me more than Welsh in these early stages." Maybe. Although. Again, credit where it's due, Welsh was very good uh, on Tuesday night. But the suggestion is also that Welsh is a right-sided centre-half, Murray's left-sided. I believe Starfelt is right-sided. Mm -hmm. So the natural fit would be him and Murray just in terms of, of their positions. True, yeah. No, I, and, and I, I, I can, I, I'd like to see Murray get the nod. I would. Um, I've got every faith in him. But, you know, you've got to like so possibly striking and, and Kennedy saying, this is quite a tough place to go to. They'll have a few... Yeah, they'll have a bit of a crowd in as well. It'll be quite toxic. They're a very angry team after what's happened. So, I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're, you're saying you're going to put a 21-year-old um, in because of the experience, I mean. Yeah, he has first-team experience. <laughs> yeah, I know, this but it's just... Um, yeah. I mean, Welsh's experience is at empty stadiums for the last 12 months. Yeah. So there's there's all sorts of uh, Good point, things going on. Paddy, just in terms of Starfield, yeah. um, you got a bit of information on him and what we can expect? Yeah, so I thought it was very good for the club, actually. So it was half an hour after um, Ayer was announced that he was gone, uh, we announced him. And I don't know if that was possibly in the waiting and why we had to wait in a bit of time to announce him. But you know what? I, I quite like that. So it was out of the old, I'm in the new. Yeah. Good way of looking at it. Bit of a leader on the park from all reports uh, from Ruben Kazan. Uh, basically, uh, good for him playing out for the back as well. He has apparently a bit of a weakness in the air, right. which is a bit of a worry. But again... You know, you're going up against a, a it's a higher standard of league. So there's potential that, you know, he gets over that when he's playing in this league. Apparently very strong, very athletic as well. Apparently he's he's been very vocal about trying to get back into the Sweden setup as well. Mm -hmm. So you'll be seeing this as an opportunity too. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very excited of him. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I was I reading just a wee bit about the international stuff. So obviously he missed out notably on Euro 2020, but by all accounts, the, the coach there went with real experience mm -hmm. and a guy we know very well, Lustig yeah. at 34 and another guy at 36 years of age. The suggestion is that moving forward, Starfield's very much going to be a part of that setup. Um, the other thing for me is that he's he's six foot one, which isn't particularly tall for a centre half. I think yeah. Welsh is also six foot one, but I, I believe also that he is very physical, Paddy, as you mentioned, and maybe his experience, 26, good age for a yeah, guy as well. Just maybe his, his position and reading of the game will we'll take care of that. Can also play right back. Can he now? Yep. Well, well, there's something. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Um, James E. Forrest at centre-half. <laughs> that's, that's what we'll do. We'll mix it up. Uh, Furuhashi, obviously, lots of folk very excited about him. There's different suggestions whether he's going to be deployed wide left or if he's going to be through the middle. And I suppose we'll, we'll find out in the you know the opening games. At the moment with Edward there, you would maybe suggest he moves out to the left, but with Ryan Christie playing the way he's playing, you wouldn't Absolutely. make any changes either. No, for, for me, it's, it's Edward out and Furashi through the middle. I think he's got the versatility to play, you know, either wing really or centre. Can he play right back? <laughs> Goalie? Play right wing. Goalie? Furashi and goals? Yeah, it'll be interesting because I believe he's he's not quite a number nine. I think he's that creative type where he, he drops in and out of pockets, but he's clearly got an eye for goal. I think he's a really exciting sign and I'm, I'm really, really keen to see him and hopefully he settles in quickly because it'll take a bit of time for somebody like him to adjust to the game here. But I think technically he's a extremely talented player and it'll, be, it'll just be great to see these guys take to the, the pitch for the first time won't it? Yeah definitely um, again a wee bit reading on him as well Iniesta uh, actually been quoted saying he's a dream to play with um, his reading of the game is very 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 good um, basically Iniesta doesn't have to look up to pass a ball but he'll know where his players are and he'll put it on put it on a plate for him but you also need a player to be able to read where that ball's going and I think he's one that can do that I think it was yourself James that mentioned about him being quite similar to the way Sinclair sometimes could get in the back. Miff uh, mentioned that. Miff, sorry, I Miff um, said it about like, Sinclair would, was very good at like playing off the shoulder of the defence and just drifting in behind the back. I think we're going to see a lot of that from him. Uh, one interesting article I read yesterday it was uh, John Dwerden from the the Guardian uh, was actually just putting the 
the dampener on it, basically I saying, yeah, good good player, but don't expect uh, hordes of fans from Japan. Like That's not our concern. No, right? I know. John, we've got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's also, to be fair, he, he's based over there. I was reading a bit, bit about him and I was kind of thinking, what's your issue, mate? Like, Aye, <laughs> it was a bit of a for no reason. Yeah, but he done a massive, uh, actually a brilliant article about um, Strachan and Nakamura as well, the relationship. So, uh, but uh, yeah, strange one. Um, but no, I'm very excited to see what he's, he's going to bring to us. Um, top goal scorer in this league for a couple of seasons That's in a right. row now. So yeah, bring it on. I'll be interested to see as well how how Scottish football wants to go forward in terms of a, a sporting entity and, and what, it, what it brings to the country in terms of entertainment. Is this guy going to get some level of protection from the agricultural tackles that we sometimes see in Scottish mm. football or are they just going to kick him out of the game? I would say probably not to your question because we've seen talented guys come and go and they get it just as tight and they get told to get on with it. So but I don't mean physicality, I mean dirty fouls that aren't bookings. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's no doubt we're going to come up against teams, so... We can maybe see 30 penalties this season, we'll never know. Well, I mean, we faced Dundee, for example, in uh, our first home league game, and Dundee are going to be kicking and scrapping for everything this season. And if a guy like Furuhashi, with the quality that he'll have, comes up against maybe their more agricultural defenders, to to quote the term, I think they're just going to try and leave a bit on them. That, that's just how it goes in Scotland. We've seen it, we know how it works, and they're fighting for their lives, and they don't care about Celtic and technicality. I've no problem with physical football. What I'm saying is, the, the line that it takes to get a, a player booked against Celtic is very, very high. And do you actually kick these guys out of your game? Maybe. Time will tell. Hopefully kick him out of the game after he's got a few league trophies under his belt, but we'll, that will remain to be seen. Um, obviously, we've talked a lot about different signings and, you know, ins and outs. And as I've mentioned, and I think we're in agreement, generally speaking, that goalkeeper, right-back, left-back are, are the real requirements. There is a suggestion um, that I've read today that Celtic are still looking for a, a defensive-type central midfielder, which means that maybe Soros... Uh, position isn't as secure as, as he once thought. Do you think we definitely need someone in there to either even cover or compete with him? There's two jobs for me, me at the moment. Get a strong first 11 and job two, strengthen the depth. And I could handle getting, getting out the end of this transfer window without the depth and strengthening through the, the youth or in, in January. Um, I think it's a bit of a luxury. If you're doing it at the expense of your fullbacks and your goalie, then absolutely not. And Soro, just in terms of his position in the team, Paddy, I mean, are you keen to see him starting more often than not? Um, again, a young player, I think that given games this season, we, we, we might see a, a bit more of him, we might, we might settle a bit. Um, for the importance of this season, I'm still, I'm still the jury's out for me with him. I think there's still a bad pass there, here and there, and that, that position... There can't be bad passes. Yeah, you've got to have 99% yeah, accuracy. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah, much. He's, um, he, he's still a development type player. You forget how young he is. Is yeah. he maybe 23, Paddy? You can maybe... 22, 23. Correct me on that, but he's yeah. certainly a young lad. So I think he's going to make mistakes and he's in a position in the park where it's just not really <laughs> accepted. The good thing is about having someone like Sorrow or similar, it does allow McGregor to move forward, as we mentioned. And Callum McGregor is better, far better, you know, away from those defensive positions. So whether they bring in a replacement for Sorrow or not remains to be seen, but... Just to stress, goalie, right back, left back, get it done Celtic. So just to look on very quickly to the the opening league game on Saturday. So going to Tynecastle on a Saturday night would usually be for a make for a great occasion, eight o'clock kickoff. But I believe they've got something like uh, full capacity or they won't be far away from it. Yeah. Um, but no away fans, so that could make it tough in itself. There's obviously some ex-Celtic players still there. Craig Gordon, Gary McKay-Stevens now, now there. Liam Boyce, decent striker. Um, their season has started as well. They've had their, their League Cup section. They've gone through that unbeaten, winning every game, and I don't think they conceded a goal. Should we be concerned about Hearts? Any game at Tynecastle can be hard. Well, there's times when I've trounced them, um, but any game at Tynecastle can be hard. And like I say, the occasion for them, after what happened um, with them with them being uh, relegated, I think that it's, uh, it's always going to be difficult and the backline needs to be yeah, backline needs to be ready for that. I think it'll be a tough game. For yourself, James? Yes, as Paddy says, tough venue. I mean, if you'd got lucky, if that's the word, and, and caught them without fans, or if we were allowed to bring fans, then it starts to bounce yeah. off. But, you know, you're going to have, I mean, I don't know what, you're going to have 25,000 fans, something like that. Really, I don't know the figure, yeah. to be honest with you. Let's say it's in that region kind of thing. 20, 25,000 Hearts fans who've been drinking all day and it's 8 o'clock at night. It's going to be a pretty toxic <laughs> atmosphere. It could be a hotbed. Um, it's also a bit of a cliche and all that stuff, but is this a must win for Ange, even though it's so early on in his tenure? You want to win the first game of the season. You want to win every game, as we all know. I said this about this month in, of August is huge for them. I think the pressure's off a wee bit, personally, I do, because we've not moved quick enough in the transfer window. Yeah, and I think the fans that are seeing that, yeah. I, I think that the general opinion, it's certainly the opinion of us, I know it is that Ange 
cannot carry the can for any early failures because he's not been back strongly enough. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone is behind him and, and obviously that might take a bit of pressure. But it's sort of what would certainly take a lot of pressure off is getting a result, wouldn't it, early bells? Wednesday and Saturday, two, two strong results there. He buys a lot, a lot of time to, to get his squad together, to get the, the mentality into them as well, whoever he signs. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, as mentioned, the big games come around pretty quick at this time of year. We've got a couple of big tests coming up this week. Paddy, how are you feeling about the week ahead? Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I, again, I'm, I've, last week I had like low expectations, as Miff and I said, but then by the end of the podcast, I was yeah, I was feeling feeling quite excited about everything. Um, I thought that we we should have won last week. We should have stuck two or three past them, in my opinion. Going forward, I think there's something there. I think that preseason has has been good to these players with the looks of it, and those that want to be there um, are really really putting the, putting the effort in. Um, you're going up against a Michelin team that we should be beating, in my opinion. We're going up against a Hearts team, which we should always be beating. But our worry is, is our back line. I'm still confident, though. I'm going for two out of two. Good, good to hear. James, I suppose on that note, a bit of a hypothetical, but if you could only pick one of these games to get a result in this week, what is it? I don't like hypotheticals. <laughs> um, so you go out on Wednesday, that's no Europe. You're just straight in the bin. No, no, you've got a... Conference. You, you played Jablonek in the Europa League qualifier after that, if it happens. Europa. So PSV or Galatasaray, if we win, most likely PSV who yeah. beat Galatasaray 5-1. If not, Jablonek or the Europa League playoff. Yeah, well, I, I could lose that one because PSV are going to beat us anyway. Let's be straight. That's the spirit, James. <laughs> they're, they're, a, they're a much better developed team than we are at the moment. At some point, we're going to hit a brick wall in terms of the, the Champions League. So if we drop in Europa and win against Hearts, I would pick Hearts. Fair enough. I think, I think a lot of fans just want to get one over Hearts as well. I know Miff's got a wee... It's, it's more just, with them. you've got to start your league campaign strong. I yeah. agree. You know? Yeah. It's just the the boost that progressing in Europe can give you as well. But And I just thought I'd throw it out there. I can tell you enjoyed that question. So. <laughs> so even though we're only in late July, this week's games will already provide an important early indicator of how things are going to shape up for Ange and the team this season. Yes, he needs reinforcements and I think he'll get them eventually, but they're not here yet, so it's over to Barkey and Co to try and get the job done this week. What could possibly go wrong? Thanks to Paddy and James for joining me in today's show and as always, a thanks to you for listening. If you're enjoying what we do, please continue to support us by sharing this episode with anyone you think will enjoy it. And remember, you can now find links to all our podcasts, blogs and social media at theCelticExchange.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. Podcast Network.